Welcome to the 30A Show, your beach-happy podcast produced in South Walton, Florida, just steps from the beach. Brought to you locally by Shunkali Oyster Bar at the corner of 393 and 30A. Let's get to it. Hey, everyone. This is Mike with 30A. Um, as you guys know, we are the Beach Happy Company, and we're dedicated not just to keeping you in touch with that wonderful feeling you get when you're at the beach, but we're also about sharing stories of, of optimism and positivity and happiness, especially in, in what is an extraordinary uh, time. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of tension, a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty. And so we want to do our best to, to share happiness, but also to share information that's going to make sure you're doing everything you can to protect the health of you, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. Uh, and so I have uh, brought a special guest here to our Beach Happy podcast today. Uh, I'm with my friend, Dr. Purvi Parikh. Uh, Dr. Uh, Purvi and I met um, last summer, actually, uh, and and we met on a, a on this ridiculously remote, exotic tropical island known as Richard Branson's Necker Island. Right. <laughs> yeah, pretty crazy circumstances, but even crazier where we find ourselves today. I think. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Changing day by day, hour to hour. You know. With yeah. Day. And if Dr. Purvi looks uh, familiar, it's because you've probably seen her face on, I mean, you've been on Fox, MSNBC, you've been on uh, all over Yahoo, all over the media, because uh, Dr. Purvi is an immunologist um, who is in New York City, really uh, on the front lines, and also exactly the type of expert we need uh, to provide us with guidance during during this time. Doc, I've got a bunch of questions. I know our 30A fans, uh, like everyone else, are anxious and and worried. But one of the things I have to say, I I really applaud you personally because you're certainly not uh, downplaying the risk. In fact, you're you're very much being frank and candid, but you also are a voice of of calm and reason in a time when it would be fairly easy uh, for people to panic and and to uh, act out in ways that that would not be constructive. So, number one, I want to Thank you for, for, for taking that approach, but also thank you for joining us today and letting us ask you some, some direct questions. Well, thank you for having me. And I always say panic never helps any situation. So I hope I'll be able to give some good information, but you know, hopefully calm some fears too. Uh, I, I have no doubt about that. Well, I do have some pretty direct questions, um, you know, some that have been weighing on my mind and, and some that I've received from our fans. Um, but before we do that, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, where you are, what your background is, what, what you're doing right now on a day-to-day basis. Right. So currently uh, I'm in New York City. Um, I'm a practicing adult and pediatric immunologist. So what that means is I treat people with uh, immune system problems. So whether their immune system is underactive or overactive in the form of allergies, asthma, or autoimmune illnesses. And um, often immunologists work with infectious disease experts in these type of crises. Um, We help develop vaccines. Uh, We do research on a lot of infectious diseases because it's all overlaps, right? The human body, everything works together. Um, And currently, you know, I'm practicing in New York City. I have uh, my own practice, but also I'm in the infectious disease and immunology faculty at NYU. So um, we've been discussing a lot about this topic and watching it as, as it's been evolving over the last six or eight weeks. 
Yeah. Well, yesterday I noticed you posted some positive news. In a minute, I want you to tell us how we can follow you if, in fact, you are uh, on, on social media or if that's something you're doing. But you posted some positive news about the effects of quarantining that we're seeing in Italy. What, what, what was that about and what are you seeing and hearing? Right. So, you know, we're learning a lot about this uh, illness as we go kind of thing. I, we're learning from our colleagues in Italy and in Asia on what works and what doesn't work um, because it's a brand new strain of the virus. Um, you know, we're starting from scratch. So it's a rare instance in which we're having to treat people and still learn about the disease at the same time. It's almost like uh, shooting a moving target, if that makes sense. And so we, we take what we can and um, run with it. But in Italy, actually, in, in one city, they did a study. It's a, a town called Vo, where they tested all 3,000 of their inhabitants uh, for COVID-19. And of the people they tested, you know, they found actually that the majority were positive, but they were completely asymptomatic. So I think they said 50 to 70 percent of those people. And out of those positive cases that they had where people were, you know, infected, showing symptoms and had a positive test, once they enforce social distancing um, or what they their form of quarantining, they actually saw the infected people drop by almost 10 times in, in just seven days. So wow. I think they had 88 infected and it came down to seven or eight by the time after just one week. So uh, it is it is actually very powerful and it does work. And, and it's not like we have to socially distance for the rest of the year. It's just that the next few weeks are really critical because if we don't, um, we do run the risk of our health systems becoming overwhelmed. And that actually is something to be worried and scared about because if we run out of hospital beds or breathing machines called ventilators, then, um, then we're in real big trouble because the people can't get the help they need. And so that really is from what I understand one of the biggest issues uh, because it's it's you know there are some people who would tend to believe there's an overreaction or whatever. However, the issue is if people go to get help and they're having difficulty in breathing, because this is a, 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 a this does attack the lungs, right? Correct. You know, it, it does attack the lungs specifically. Right. So if you've got somebody who's already in ICU for uh, unrelated, right? They just need right. a respirator and you've only got X number of respirators in the hospital. Right. And now all of a sudden people are coming in who, uh, you know, are having difficulty breathing, which is a terrifying experience for anyone who's ever, you know, had that sort of panic attack or wh whatever, whatever you've had in your life. It, it really puts the doctor in an incredibly awful choice. Like, do I go take this uh, 65 year old woman off of a respirator to give it to this person? Because you only have so many. So I think it's important for people to understand this is uh, to some degree about how many people we can accommodate in our healthcare system and making sure we're not going to stop this virus. But what we're trying to do is lower the curve, so to speak, so that fewer people are needing treatment all at the same time. Is that kind of accurate? Right, that's absolutely correct. And unfortunately, those tough decisions are being made in Italy. So we're trying to learn uh, from our colleagues there and avoid that mistake. So doctors in Italy are saying that already that anyone that's even lower than 65, 60 and up, um, they're not putting on respirators. They're not offering because they're trying uh, to ration the best they can. And, and nobody, no one wants to be in that situation, you know, to decide uh, sure. who, who lives or who dies, you know. We so 
everyone a fighting chance. So if you're sitting there today, even if you're a, a skeptic or even if you're uh, irresponsible and cavalier, you know, you, you really have to think about it's not it's more about resources and making sure the proper resources are available when you or a loved one need them uh, and, and, or anyone. Um, but I think that, that the quarantining, we are showing signs in other uh, areas that it does work if we're all in this together. And, and there is a, do you think there's a real good chance we can flatten this curve if we do that? Uh, absolutely. I think the timing is everything. Uh, we need to act now if we do want to flatten the curve. You know, they say every one person has a potential to spread it to three people. So, you know, automatically, when, if we're all out just living our lives, hundreds and thousands of people could be affected. But, but by just staying home, that drops immensely. It, okay. I mean, there was a great infographic where it went from 500 people to one person affected and over the course of 30 days. So um, we can really make a big impact. And, and the other thing I want to note is as we learn about this virus, uh, we're also learning that, you know, we thought younger adults were safe or on the safer side. Um, they actually aren't. Uh, you know, the statistics in the U.S., it's sobering, but uh, a third of the people hospitalized right now are between the ages of 20 and 50. So even if you, you want to do it for selfish reasons, even for yourself, you know, you should be protecting um, yourself. There are, of course, some people who are concerned that the cure um, might end up being worse than the disease. You know, that is, you know, obviously companies are having to now do layoffs. Restaurants right. are closed. Nightclubs are done. Fitness clubs are done. Um, you know, and, and, you know, we're talking about at least weeks, uh, uh, perhaps longer. So, you know, there is absolutely going to be an economic impact to that. Uh, well, already is families being, you know, without income or, or uh, even locked up and being suicidal or depressed, you know, so to what degree um, is that, like, how do we weigh that out? Or what would you say in response to somebody who's like, man, you know, we're in order to treat a wart, we're cutting off an arm. Um, you know, it does, do you have any indication at this point? I know it's not your specialty, but are you hearing anything that kind of says, you know, no, Mike, the economic impact was, is, is going to be exponentially worse if we don't get this thing under control? I mean, like, what, what is the current thinking? Right. So, I mean, that's actually exactly what I was going to say. Um, yes, times are hard and they might get harder even over the next few weeks as we see how this plays out. But the other side of it is that, yes, we might be cutting off an arm, but it's much more it's much more than a wart. I would say we're cutting off an arm to treat a rapidly spreading cancer, if that makes sense. Because yep. if we don't cut the arm, we'll lose the whole body, you know. So, and, yep. and the economic impact will be far worse because this will go on for months and months. And outside of the financial gains, it'll be many, many lives lost as well. So, uh, yes, right now, everyone's making sacrifices um, and times are tough. I'm not downplaying that, but they will be far worse if we don't act quickly. And, and the, because social distancing works fast, the sooner we act, the sooner this can be behind us. That's the idea. China's already starting to get back on their feet. Um, so that's reassuring if, if, to anybody if it can be. So let's talk about China for a second. I mean, because we have seen over the past week, um, they're reporting relatively few new cases and, and dramatically different numbers in terms of deaths. That said, China's notoriously uh, bad about sharing information, um, especially if it's information that, that might be perceived to be an embarrassment. How much faith do you think we can put that they have somehow potentially turned a corner? 
Right. I, I completely agree with you. It's hard to know uh, if the information that we're receiving on the other side of the world, how accurate it is. Um, but some reassuring things are, I know that excess hospitals that they had built in anticipation of needing it for patients, they've actually not had to use and they're shutting those down. And then even though Italy's numbers continue to rise, um, we have gotten word that the rate at which it's rising has also slowed down. So outside of China, we're also seeing um, positive signs too. And, and same with other uh, countries such as in South Korea um, and other areas in Asia. So um, yes, you know, we have to take all information with a grain of salt, but the good news is that at least we're seeing some consistency in other countries as well. So d does the increase, do we, do we believe at this moment that the increase in just seasonal temperatures has anything to do with that uh, beyond quarantining? Right. So we don't know for sure. But that being said, we are seeing cases, unfortunately, even in warmer climates. Um, so I think time will tell. I mean, as you know, Florida has cases. We're seeing cases in Texas and Arizona. So if, you know, those places are warm already. So you would think that they would have less cases. Now, will it get better as we go into the summer? I mean, I hope so. You know, I, I'm, I'm an optimist. But again, only time will tell because this is something new we're dealing with. <laughs> That said, why do you think, like, why are we not seeing dramatic number of cases, say, in India yet? You know, I mean, India, to me, would be just a nightmare scenario, right. you know, given the inability to even reach many of the citizens with basic educational messages. Right. Um, you know, so, so why, you know, why are we seeing, is it all just the, you know, who, who got on the plane at some point and popular, you know, infected the population? I mean, are we, are, what, what, is there any rationale? Are we seeing any geographic differences, uh, right. you know, but, between certain parts of the world? I mean, so if warmth doesn't have to do with it, what, what do we think that might be attributed to? Any ideas? So, uh, you know, that's a great question. And, you know, we, uh, we were all wondering the same thing. Why are certain countries so much better at getting ahead of it, such as uh, India or Singapore or um, even South Korea, right? They were able to get um, ahead of it quickly. Uh, and and there, I think it's multifactorial. Um, one, you know, testing was a big issue here. So I think we had cases spreading before we even knew it because we weren't testing everyone. So mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if in India they have less cases because of the testing issue or if it's because there are certain measures that they put into place. So, for example, um, anecdotally, I know somebody who went to India recently and came back and they said they were extremely strict at the airports um, mm -hmm. in who they let in, who they let out, where, um, you know, that same person came back to, you know, the U.S. and the screening was pretty much nothing. And even that was recently in the last uh, yeah. week. So I think they were strict, uh, as was Singapore and some other um, areas, in um, shutting borders down early. Um, they actually, over a month ago, stopped letting people in or out once they found cases um, amongst Italian tourists and others. And I think um, already they're, they're still taking strict measures. For example, they've um, instituted a nationwide curfew um, that's going into, in fact, in the recent days. Uh, and then South Korea also, they had, uh, they just testing a lot of people. And I think that helped them get ahead of it. So they had drive through outdoor testing up and running. I mean, some, to that scale, we were nowhere near that. So I think it's a combination of they, you know, testing early plus taking certain measures um, mm -hmm. and instating them. And again, we don't really know how many cases every place has because it all depends on their ability to test, you know. 
Well, let's talk about that. Like, so like mortality rate, you know, I know there isn't enough data yet to really draw any conclusions, but you know, the mortality, let's say that you've got X number of uh, known cases in America, and then you have X number of deaths. I think we're around the 500 mark, you know, at, at, at the moment. Um, but I'm also reading, and, and again, would love, uh, just because you read something, as we all know, doesn't make it true, but I had read an article that said, you know, an estimated six out of seven people who have it mm-hmm. may not even know they have it or that they, they may be carriers. So what does that do long-term as we get more and more data to that mortality rate? Obviously, if that's true, would we expect the mortality rate to drop because it could be possible that it could be possible that 60% of us are carrying it and we don't even know we've got it. Uh, right. Therefore, the mortality rate is not as potentially not as high. Is that, is that thinking sound or is there a flaw in that thinking? No, um, that's absolutely true. So again, unless until we know the total number of cases, actual cases, so even people with mild or asymptomatic disease, um, we can't give an accurate mortality rate because we don't know what, you know, the denominator or the bottom number. Um, so those, is it 500 out of 5 million or 500 out of 20,000? You know, it's, it's a very different mortality rate. So that's another issue too. I, you know, testing would be helpful because then we'd have an idea of really how, how severe the mortality rate is. You mentioned Elderly people, uh, obviously, we've heard that from the beginning that elderly and people with weak immune systems, but now we're finding that that younger people are not just getting it, but are requiring hospitalization. Um, That said, from a death standpoint, there have been relatively few among young people like like children, uh, teenagers. Do we have any understanding of why we think that might be? Uh, so that's a very good question, and we're all trying to wrap our heads around why, you know, children and, um, you know, teenagers, adolescents are so protected, um, because it's not like they don't get infected, we, they do, um, but for some reason they don't develop as severe uh, of an illness, you know, and even the infection rates tend to be lower in that group, and again, we're not quite sure why. So yes, they do get sick, but many of them don't even get to the point where they, you know, turn positive um, mm-hmm. on testing. So um, there's many thoughts behind it that, you know, older people may have more uh, medical conditions. They may not be as resilient as very young children. But then as we see young adults getting sick, again, it, it doesn't make sense. I think figuring out why children are protected from this virus as opposed to something like the flu, which does kill kids every year, um, might be helpful in us figuring out how to defeat it. You know, what is it that, you know, children or young teens have that keep them from getting so uh, badly ill. I read that, and again, I never want to throw out facts because I'm, I'm certainly not, I'm only sharing things I've read. So please don't hesitate to shoot me down if they're, they're, they're no longer accurate because they could also be dated. But I had read something that said an approximate one in 20 people who are infected um, require hospitalization. Is that number still accurate? And if so, can our system handle that? Right. So uh, from what we're seeing in the U.S., it does look like that number is fairly accurate. So that's about 20 percent. 
hopefully it doesn't go up from there. Um, it's hard to say if we can or cannot handle it. The problem is this virus came during our flu season, which is already a time where our systems are strained. And even without this uh, virus, during a normal year, um, flu often overwhelms our hospitals and we, we can barely handle that. So um, we are in a very tough situation and that's why we are really trying to um, save resources and, yep. and stop because it's, it's not a small number that will need the hospital. Now you said 20%, so that's about one in five. Is that, is that, what, is it more like one in five oh, required? Right. Yeah, so it, it's, again, it varies as we're getting data. Yep. Here um, in New York, it is looking like closer to 20% and it could okay. just as we're just now testing everybody. Yep. But again, it's similar to the mortality rate. Um, it's hard. There's not to enough data. Yeah, we don't know who has it yet. Yep. Okay. Um, in your opinion, and, and perhaps based on the opinions of you're, you're surrounded by a lot of smart people, especially on these panels that you're speaking with, etc. Um, is this going to get a lot worse before it gets better? Or are you seeing, you know, signs of, of hope and optimism that, you know, we're, if we if we hunker down, we can get through this in a few weeks to where it, it settles down? What do you what do you think? Right. So I think initially um, it, it may get worse, especially in the next week or two, but how quickly it gets better does depend on everybody. You know, it depends on um, the social distancing, staying home, not traveling. So, you know, I think overall I'm optimistic as long as people listen and those measures are followed. But I mean, realistically, it, we will see more cases. We will see that's at least even in the past week, uh, we have two dedicated um, COVID units at NYU and we only had a handful of cases a week ago and now both units are full. And that's not meant to alarm or scare anybody. We were expecting that, but I'm also being realistic that um, we are gonna see more and more cases and that's even more reason that we need to take um, you know, all these uh, warnings and guidelines and suggestions seriously. There are people out there, there are uh, websites out there talking about potential casualties in the millions, you know, even here in America. Um, you know, how real is that possibility uh, or likelihood, um, you know, without trying to scare people, you know, we're also just trying to be level-headed and kind of understand what's going on. I mean, do you, right. in your expert opinion, are we looking down that kind of barrel or are we, you know, hopefully if we all pull together, we're somewhere short of that. Or is there a certain inevitability to casualties in the hundreds of thousands or more? Right. So I'm hoping that we don't uh, approach millions because that, that is quite scary picture for all of us, including <laughs> as healthcare professionals. But at least from what we're seeing globally, um, you know, even in those countries that were hit the hardest, such as China and Italy, um, there's a lot, you know, in the tens of thousands, but, um, you know, they're not close to that number of a million, you know. So again, a lot of it will be at what happens in the next few weeks, what things we do. Um, yes, we all absolutely all need to pull together to curb it but it does that number doesn't look that high as of that point but to be honest all of us are still kind of in the beginning of this at least here in the US we're hoping other places in the world are on the near the end or so so speaking of that you know obviously we all hope we all pull together we we flatten that curve right. that said is this something that comes back you know year after year and we're fighting this uh, hopefully smarter and and with uh, remedies, but is this something that we should expect, even if we suppress it, uh, mm -hmm. we're going to see it again next season, you know, uh, roar back to life. 
Right. So I, that's a great question. Unfortunately, sometimes with these pandemics, um, once these uh, virus strains have infected humans, um, they can stay, right? So uh, H1N1 is a prime example. You know, that was the last big pandemic we had in 2009, 2010. Um, and we still see cases, luckily not to that extent, but um, we are still seeing cases uh, even now from H1N1. So it is possible that, you know, the virus can continue on. I'm hoping, though, that we'll be better armed to fight it with vaccines and medications and whatnot. So let's talk about H1N1 for a sec. You know, that was in the 2009-2010 range when we first identified that. And during its first year, the pandemic, uh, say between April of 2009 and April of 2010, we saw uh, an estimated, the CDC estimates are about 60 million, uh, 60.8 million cases in the U.S., Right. Um, there were about 275,000 hospitalizations and about 12,000, over 12,000 people died in the U.S. from H1N1. Right. Um, I know that there's a difference between, uh, from, a, from a medical sense, uh, mm-hmm. the difference between those, uh, the, the current situation and that. What is the difference between what H1N1 is or, or, or is versus the, the COVID-19? Right, so um, the H1N1 was a strain of influenza or the flu virus, so it was a different virus. And even COVID-19, you know, coronavirus is the same virus as the common cold. So the virus itself isn't new, it's just that this strain, us humans are not used to, and that's why it's it's so dangerous for us. Our immune systems aren't used to it. Um, the difference with that pandemic, though, even though it was very widespread, it was much uh, slower moving. And even uh, Dr. Fauci from the NIH said the very same thing. You know, he's been doing this for close to 40 years, and this is the first time he's seen a pandemic spread so quickly. So with H1N1, we had kind of the luxury of time, if I can use the word luxury, but we had the time to develop the vaccine. Um, and, you know, find out what drugs worked and didn't work. And while there was a lot of mortality and morbidity, um, it it was over a much longer period of time. So a lot of people compare this pandemic to that one saying, oh, it's either not as bad or it's much worse. But again, it's hard to say because now we're looking back, right? Whereas this, we're kind of just just getting started, if that makes sense. And if you if you think you have it, you're sitting at home, you're sitting in your apartment in New York or you're sitting, you know, uh, down here at the beach, um, you've, you've got some symptoms, you feel fine, but you're you, you know, you're starting to develop a cough or, or um, what should you do? Right. So what we're recommending right now is if if you're home, you have fever, sore throat, you're starting to feel run down. uh, It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you have to panic, jump up and go to the doctor, go to the hospital. Um, If anything, you know, we're saying, you know, actually stay home and recover the same way you would from any cold or flu, Uh, you know, drink a lot of fluids. Uh, take Tylenol, take other medications to make yourself feel better. But if you do have breathing difficulties, meaning very bad cough or wheezing or shortness of breath, then you definitely need medical attention. But again, rather than going straight away, uh, we recommend either calling a hospital or emergency room first or calling your physician because then um, they can direct you to what the best uh, next step is because we're also trying to limit exposure as well. Sure. Uh, 
I'm hoping soon we'll even have at-home testing because I think that would be huge because then we can actually get a lot of people tested without exposing them or other people um, to the virus. So for those who do not feel affected at the moment in terms of their health, at least, um, you know, we all know about the washing of the hands and the importance of that. I hope we do. Um, we all know that staying um, at home and or at the very least in small, you know, n no larger than a very small group and, and maintaining a six foot distance from others. Is there anything else that you think people should be doing right now? Right. So aside from those things, again, please don't travel if you don't have to. Um, please stay away from airports and airplanes, postpone trips. Uh, obviously, the large gatherings, uh, many states are already enforcing that, but it, there are areas where uh, large gatherings are still occurring. And, you know, the longer we uh, delay taking these steps, the longer this is going to go on. So, you know, please avoid big groups. And even this includes even, it, it sounds lonely, but even avoid just going to a friend's house or not, because you never know who may be carrying it. Um, you don't want to infect your own family members, um, your mm -hmm. own parents or grandparents or uh, what have you. So, yes, mm -hmm. all of those things are very important. Are you feeling better about things or worse about things than you did two weeks ago? So compared to two weeks ago, and, you know, I'd like you to ask me the question again in two weeks. <laughs> I will. <laughs> it changes so much. So compared with two weeks ago, things are definitely a lot more serious. You know, I wouldn't say that I feel better or worse, but it's definitely gotten much more serious and more concerning that all of us pay attention, especially because I'm in New York as well, too. So we have by far the most cases in the whole country. I, I think as of yesterday, it was 15,000. So I definitely, uh, I personally am taking it more seriously and I'm seeing everybody around me taking it more seriously. Now, in two weeks, I might have a different answer and say, wow, we did such a great job social distancing. I'm happy to see the rate of cases slowing down or coming down. So again, with this, it's, it's um, it changes so much day to day and we've never seen anything like this before. We've had so many pandemics, but none that even H1N1 didn't change so much day to day, week to week. So um, like I said, you're going to have to ask me again, even in a week, I, I may have a different answer. If you had your best guess, and I recognize, you know, you're a, a clinical scientist, so, you know, uh, don't, don't uh, say anything that puts you in an uncomfortable position, but where do you, where do you see us in a week? Where do you, where, what, what, if you had to, to guess what next week looks like at this time, where are we? Um, so again, it will depend on the actions that our government officials take. So if tomorrow, you know, all of a sudden uh, Trump and the state governors decide, okay, we're going to make everybody shelter in place. I actually think in a week or two, things will be much better because people will be moving around less. We'll be able to actually see um, who's infected, who's not. Uh, hopefully there'll be less strain on our healthcare system. Um, and I'm hoping in, even in a month, a couple of months, that there will be a vaccine out, um, that we will have even uh, medications that we know what, which ones work, which ones don't work. So I am optimistic that as we get further and further out, um, that news will be good rather than bad. For the skeptics, uh, you know, 
um, who there, there's all sorts of crazy uh, and, and, you know, not necessarily crazy conspiracy theories, et cetera. Do we have any, you know, initially there was talk that it came from an exotic uh, market in, right. in China uh, and that it was likely transmitted from, you know, potentially a bat or, but then you also heard, Hey, there's this, uh, you know, weapons plant, biochemical right. plant next door conveniently. Right. What do you, what is the thinking in terms of where did this thing originate from? And, and are we, do we believe it was a natural process uh, as opposed to something fabricated or something more sinister? Right. So, you know, no one ever knows for sure <laughs> anything, especially things that are happening so far away. But in general, the way that these viruses evolve is that it's usually um, what we call zoonotic spread, meaning it's, it jumps from animal to animal. Um, and so while I, I can't answer with 100% certainty, at least the evidence that we see based on this pandemic and previous pandemics, it does look like it did originate um, from a market, and especially those wet markets are known to have very diverse species all kind of stacked on top of one another. So normally it's actually very hard for this type of a virus to make it into humans, but because of the close proximity of all those animals and then humans interacting with them, um, I think that's how this virus jumped between two or three even species and ended up in, in humans, you know. Just trying to understand, because I've been to some of those markets, you know, uh, is that something that is a result of somebody eating it or just it being an infected animal that spreads it in no different a way than we would spread it to each other just through touch and or, uh, you know, air? I mean, is it, from an immunologist right. perspective, how does that first case happen? Right, right. So there has to be some type of a contact, right? And in those markets, uh, as you may have seen, you know, with the animals being so close to one another, and unfortunately, many are being slaughtered there as well, you know, um, blood from different species may be mixing, as well as other, you know, bodily fluids. And then in terms of human contact, you know, it could be as something as simple as someone touching it and then eating even something else unrelated, you know, they, things transfer. That's why we keep saying, wash your hands, don't touch your face because things transfer very easily just by touch, you know? So there, I think there has to be some type of contact. I, I doubt it was all airborne initially, but I have a feeling it was probably um, from those animals being so close together, um, you know, their blood, other bodily fluids mixing, and then either um, by humans ingesting those animals or even just handling those animals, um, it can it can spread that way. And that's why the H1N1, because it is, is the carrier for that one's more birds, right? Or yeah. no? Yeah, well, uh, H1N1 was a was a swine flu. Oh, swine there, flu. Yeah, right. But there was an avian, uh, there's an avian flu as well, too. But okay. All different animals. Yes. Yeah, and the wild animals are obviously, you know, when it's happening naturally, uh, you know, that's much harder to contain, and that's why, you know, because you can't, you can, you can quarantine a pet that's got rabies or something, but you know, birds in the trees and uh, things a little bit harder to to, to control, I would assume. Right. Um, I asked you about a week from now. Where do you think we are a year from now? So, and I know it all depends back on what we do now, but that said, what what does your gut tell you? So a year from now, actually, I'm, I'm more, much more optimistic because I know already um, vaccine trials have started. They, you know, started with the first few patients last week. 
Um, so a year from now, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll have a vaccine so that if this virus is around, we'll be more protected. So we actually will have, um, you know, defense against it than just staying home. Um, the other nice thing is, you know, being an immunologist, our immune systems are very uh, nimble organs, you know. So all of us being exposed to it now actually may put us in a better position a year from now if, if our immune systems do what we predict them to, which is gain immunity to it. So even with age H1N1, that was the opposite. Actually, younger people had it worse than older people because old people had been exposed to H1N1 at the beginning of the century. So they already had some immunity to it. So Interesting. Hoping, yeah, I'm hoping we'll have natural immunity plus a vaccine. Um, and then hopefully we'll know what medications work or don't work. So, um, yeah, I think a year from now we'll be in a better in better shape than now. So really from what you're saying to me, it sounds like these next two weeks, these next three weeks are so critical mm-hmm. in determining our own future um, right. and, and suppressing, slowing. You're not going to stop the disease, but you can slow it down to where we can handle it and get a grasp on it. Is that generally speaking for somebody who's kind of, on the fence about where all this is. Is that generally the thinking? Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's going to go away completely that quickly. I mean, I, I wish no, it sure, would, of course. I think we're going to be better armed to deal with it at that, yeah. stage, at that point. Great. Well, uh, I'm here with Dr. Uh, Purvi Parikh and she and Dr. Dan, um, two of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And, and it's been a, a real pleasure to see you um, being cited as an expert uh, during these times. It's very comforting and reassuring to someone who knows you personally. Um, but uh, I want to thank you for, for being um, uh, very grounded and, and very factual and for sharing your time with us. I know I can't imagine how busy an immunologist in New York is at the moment. So for you to even peel away this much time is, is a real blessing for our fans and, and we appreciate it. No, I'm, I'm happy to. Thank you for having me. And I hope I gave some good information. You absolutely did. And I may, uh, I won't, I won't bother you uh, routinely, but I may very well hit you up in that next week or two and find out how you're feeling yeah. about things. Yeah, absolutely. And this keeps changing. So happy. all right, stay healthy, stay happy. And to all of our fans uh, back home, uh, thank you for tuning in and just uh, be happy. Ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, reach out, take advantage of this time, catch up on some books, reach out to your parents, reach out to your loved ones, reach out to old friends who might be uh, feeling lonely in isolation. Uh, use the power of social media to stay in touch, but resist the temptation to, to, to share uh, negativity and, and false information and alarmism. You know, ultimately, um, our country, our planet, um, we can get through this if we all pull together and we all show some compassion for our neighbors and some understanding that this truly, perhaps as much as anything we've experienced in our lifetime, requires that we all pull together uh, to, to prevent Um, and and to actually promote greater good uh, to prevent uh, this thing from getting out of control. So uh, thanks to to Dr. Purvi and others who are putting their life at risk quite literally every day uh, so that the rest of us might enjoy a cure um, in the near future. So thanks again, Doc. Thank you. Find the 30A Show on your favorite streaming apps or inside our 30A apps for iPhone and Android. Thanks for listening to the 30A Show, brought to you locally by Shunk Gully Oyster Bar. Until next time, be chappy.